0: There are web pages for just about everything these days, and uh, you, it won't surprise many of you, I suppose, to discover that there are web pages devoted to listing quotes from the Bible that aren't actually in the Bible. And Shakespeare received similar treatment uh, quotes from Shakespeare that appear in none of the plays. In both cases, uh, most of the supposed non quotations are actually slight variations on texts. That do appear in the Bible and in Shakespeare. For example, if you happen to think that Hamlet somewhere says, Methinks the lady doth protest too much, I would consider it pretty pedantic uh, for someone to point out that it's actually, The lady doth protest too much, methinks. Similarly, if you think that St. Paul said that God will never give you more than you can bear, I would normally take this to be a common version of what he actually wrote, God will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. Uh, I did find one actually false Bible quotation, though, that deserves attention, and the line is, God helps those who help themselves. Not only is this line not in the Bible, but it's rather close to the heresy that the church calls semi-Pelagianism which roughly claims that God waits for us to make the first move before rewarding us with grace. In fact, the Bible privileges the helpless, those who have no help, including from themselves, those who are defenseless. These are those to whom God extends his special help and protection. And often enough, this is because those who cannot help themselves And who can find no help from fellow human beings, turn naturally to God and ask Him for help. But asking for help is not very popular. It's not something most of us like to do. We have tried to make a virtue of personal independence, which has led to the misuse of another quotation, not from either the Bible or from Shakespeare. It's a quote from a 19th century physics textbook, of all places. Uh, In it, the author asks a rhetorical question. Why cannot a man lift himself by pulling up on his bootstraps? This became a sarcastic phrase as it made its way into popular culture of trying to advance by one's own efforts alone without any reference to anybody else. But interestingly, somehow in our culture, we drop the sarcasm. And many people today accept this idea as representing the best of American industry, hard work, and autonomy. God helps those who help themselves by crowning their success. But as I've already said, God helps those who ask for help and those who depend on him and trust him. As the prophet Habakkuk wonderfully puts it, "...the just man shall live by faith, not by his own efforts." So we should give the disciples some credit this morning. They come to Jesus with a request. They ask for help. Increase our faith. It's a similar request to one that is made elsewhere in the Gospels by the father of the demoniac. Jesus first tells this man that all things are possible when he asks for a cure for his son. All things are possible if you only believe. And this prompts the man, who is very near to despair at this point for his son, To say, help my unbelief. I really want to believe it, but, you know, so many people have tried to help my son and it's not worked. Help my unbelief. And Jesus actually doesn't respond in words to his request. He heals the child. So we can assume that the man's prayer, his request to help his unbelief, was answered. That was the answer. And I bring up this incident about the demoniac in comparison to today's gospel for two reasons. The first one is that the Father's request is virtually the same as the disciples' request in today's gospel. And the second is to indicate that faith as a virtue is best exercised under a certain amount of pressure. And in fact, uh, St. Paul says this to Timothy, that we need to bear our share of the gospel burden if we're going to increase our faith. And just as it can be difficult to become courageous if we never put ourselves in any danger whatsoever, faith can be somewhat easy when things are going all right. And we see a similar dynamic in the paragon of faith, the patriarch Abraham. When, I ask you, this is your little quiz, when does Scripture tell us that Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith? It was after he questioned God. He expressed serious misgivings because God keeps promising him this son and he's not coming, and he and Sarah are not getting any younger. And God gives him the promise again. And Abraham, to his credit, discounting all the contrary signs, believes him, trusts him. Now, faith is a gift, it's something we can and should ask from God. But it's also a virtue. And that means it grows stronger or weaker, depending on whether we exercise it with greater intensity or lesser intensity. And let's face it, just as there are no atheists in foxholes, and that line is not in either the Bible or Shakespeare, isn't it the case that our faith grows stronger when it's tested? So what's the specific test that Jesus poses to the disciples who are asking him to increase their faith? Or what are they responding to and asking for this gift? What, What is challenging their faith, that they want a stronger faith? Well, first of all, the last few weeks we've been listening to parables about wealth and the difficulties associated with wealth. We know that Christ's strong warnings about the wealthy were a scandal to the disciples. When Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven... The disciples' response was, well, then who can be saved? If it's not these people who are obviously blessed, what's it about? But Jesus didn't actually say that the wealthy can't be saved. He said everything is possible for God. So all things are possible for those who have faith because faith puts us in touch with God. It gives us a share in God's perspective. It gives us a reliance on God's omnipotence and love. The smallest part of God's infinite power is sufficient for any kind of task we have. So Jesus, again, doesn't offer reassurance to the disciples, though I don't think his reticence should be interpreted as disapproval of their question, just as he didn't answer with words the Father's request. We should assume instead that his responses are really meant to give the disciples what they're asking for. So he ends with this challenge, and that's where I will end. Whatever work you do, trust God, do it for God, and don't expect immediate obvious return. See if you can go beyond the obedience of a slave who fears punishment and even beyond the obedience of a merchant who justly hopes for an immediate return on his labor, but rather strive for the best kind of faith and obedience, that of a faithful son or daughter who does what the Father asks because he loves his Father, and asks nothing in return but to be loved. And for this obedience of faith, we have no greater example than the Son of God. He always did the Father's will, including becoming a servant, doing the work of salvation, being our pioneer in this work of salvation, out of love for the Father and for us. We can be content to be unprofitable servants, but this is so that all the glory will not go to us as if we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. No, the glory will go and accrue to God the Father and to his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.